Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Dealing with Doing Good, a limited audio series produced by the team at Commonplace. In this series, we explore the challenges and meanings of doing good in a complicated world. In each episode, we sit down with people who are trying to make a living in the world of development. Join us as we discuss with our guests the motivations, anxieties, and realizations which drive them. I'm your host, Nishtha Tiwari, an interdisciplinary researcher and co-founder at Commonplace. And I'm Kapil Vacha, a design strategist and also a co-founder at Commonplace. For our first episode, we have with us Deepika Ghosh. Deepika is a practitioner currently working in the field of mental health and well-being. She's been working across themes of public health in the development sector since 2016. So let's begin. Hi, I'm so happy to be here and to talk to both of you. Yeah, we're so happy to have you as well. Great to have you, Deepika. Uh, so, Deepika, we'd like to know a bit more about your journey and what's brought you into the field of mental health as a practitioner. Uh, great. So, I'll have to start by explaining this in three parts um, because my experience working in RCTs and in behavior science research is kind of what led me here. So, like many of us, I was I kind of ended up working in RCTs because of this book called Poor Economics. I also studied master's level economics, and I was really struck by RCTs because it seemed they seem to offer this very elegant solution to all of society's problems, right? Given what we know, that is, uh, they seem to be the kind of gold standard. Um, and hence, I started working at JPAL, and that led me to working at CSBC. Um, at CSBC, I, you know, a lot of my work uh, as we were part of the founding team of the BIU of India, uh, a lot of my work was around maternal and child health. And fortunately, it involved talking to a lot of women and adolescent girls. And this is also where, you know, mental health started coming up for me in a big way because we did a large-scale study in, in the course of the pandemic during the first wave. Um, and mental health was something that kept coming up uh, in, in all of our conversations. Um, I also want to add that, you know, human behavior is a very fascinating thing. Um, and I read this book called Freakonomics when I was a young teenager, right? And I was like, okay, this is this is kind of what I want to uh, work with uh, at some point in my life. Um, and, uh, you know, our work seemed to align very well with that. Like we seem to understand the nuances of individual behavior and uh, in, the, in the context of, you know, uh, the community. Um, but I also felt that, you know, my own personal experience of uh, life as someone who does struggle with mental health and does you know I, I'm a neurodivergent person actually I don't I don't like the word neurodivergent I like to think of it as neurodiversity um, and I mean feel free to chime in here um, neurodivergence it's it sort of signals to me that there is a you know there is a norm and then you sort of deviate from that norm and neurodiversity is a lot more inclusive in the way that there is no sort of set norm that you are the aberration to, right? So uh, my own experience, as well as the experiences of countless adolescents and uh, women um, is what brought me to, you know, finally start working in, in the field of inclusion myself. Um, I now lead workplace inclusion and entrepreneurship for, this organization called Changing Foundation. Um, I should preface this by saying that, you know, everything that I say today is just my views and not that of anyone else's or, or of my employers. Um, but yeah, th this is broadly the sort of path that I took to working here. Thanks for sharing that with us, Deepika. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to learn more about uh, how you experienced this personal journey and the interrelationship with 
what you spoke about in terms of uh, the people you were working with and how mental health played a role there and then your personal experiences and how they intertwined with the people you were working with um i think you know i i have to say that uh, since i kind of referred to the pandemic i i really want to say that because of the degrees and degrees of privilege that i have um i don't think that our struggles were the same right i think that to to an extent everyone experiences loneliness everyone has you know varying degrees of self doubt um a lot of us experienced anxiety um but for very different reasons right like the people that i was speaking to um they were experiencing exclusion on a very different level and i don't want to i don't want to co-opt anyone else's challenges right if if you're struggling because you're not able to make ends meet or you know you're struggling to access healthcare um your challenges look very different from mine um but yes i i did find that a lot of the things that we experience as women um are the same across contexts um i've had a lot of opportunities to talk to women about mental health is a part of everything that we do right so if you talk to people about their uh, daily routines you talk to them about healthcare practices you talk to people about health seeking you talk to people about reproductive health you talk to people about their sort of history with the healthcare infrastructure mental health invariably comes into the picture so i did find that a lot of the themes may have been common but our our challenges were so different that i don't want to say that we had anything in common people have far bigger problems yeah that gives me a lot to think about as well uh I, and that also brings me to another point which i wanted to talk about which was it, within mental health uh you know there are the individual issues and then there are the structural problems which often lead to lead to issues which might create uh which might create other problems of mental health and how 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 can we talk about that in a better manner so right now you know even when i spoke to other people about doing this podcast a lot of people brought up the brought up the fact that mental health plays a big role in the dev sector both in terms of the kind of work we're doing the kind of problems that we personally face while working there and then the kind of problems that we see people facing and and there's a big big disjuncture between those two problems so there's something that i as a practitioner might be seeing and that might be affecting me in certain ways or workplace environment might be affecting me in a certain way and then when i go into the field there are other problems which i see which which are issues of mental health but they're but they're different in 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 particular in exactly the way that you spoke about right like their context is entirely different the kind of things they're experiencing is entirely different so within these spaces there are a lot of individual problems that people face and then there are a lot of problems that are created by the structure itself and how do we move into a terrain where we can speak about these two things uh in conversation with one another right so so that's actually a very interesting thing right um i i think that the development sector is as insidious in its exclusion as any other sort of um as any as any other sector right or any other way of working um i i still feel that you know our understanding of mental health and mental illness and um neurodivergence or neurodiversity is very superficial right although we have been talking about you know here we need to create safe spaces we need psychological safety we need you can feel free to take a mental health day off there's very little understanding of what it requires of the people in the workplace to create a safe space or psych safety right and and with the development sector there's also the added aspect right that because you're working as a collective 
in service of um, a humanitarian objective, right? Or you have a larger social interest. Um, there is a tendency at a systemic level to deprioritize the self and one's own well-being. So for example, I mean, I don't have to tell you about the, the degrees and degrees of, you know, unpaid work or, you know, violation of boundaries. Um, what it turns, as it turns out, I mean, we understand socioeconomic marginalization and we're trying to work as a collective towards that. But we have so little understanding of any other kinds of marginalization. Um, as somebody who's worked in the development sector in a number of organizations, I, I feel that um, like anywhere else, right? Uh, I not only have to sort of come out to my boss as someone who struggles with mental health or who is, you know, who's on the spectrum or who has ADHD, I also have to be personally well-versed with the biology and the psychology of these conditions. And I have to, I have the added burden of sort of explaining it first to my boss, right? Um, and then to my teammates and to other persons in the organization, I have to keep coming out, right? Like it's, it's extremely exhausting. Um, and so while we are very attuned to one kind of marginalization, there is no meaningful education on other kinds of marginalization. That is the, uh, that's kind of the irony of working in the development sector in my experience. Um, you're also, you know, in, in this sort of, the onus of educating everyone around you um, is on you, right? Which is exhausting, like I mentioned, but you're also in that way, you'll find yourself competing with misrepresentation of those conditions in the media, right? For example, um, you'll have people, so you, you tell someone I have uh, ADHD and then, you, you may hear the response that we're all a little spaced out. Um, maybe, you know, I, I think a lot of us are developing ADHD. It's not that, I mean, we, we kind of know that it's not that a lot more of us are developing ADHD. It's just that rates of diagnosis are higher now. Um, but you could, you know, use the mobile less or you could meditate more. We're all a little bit like that. Um, so that gets a little exhausting and it's also interesting considering that we are working towards improving societal welfare in one way or another, right? And, and we think so little of the resources of this sector itself. I think for me, knowing that you're gonna be a part of this episode and this was gonna be one of the topics, um, I, as, as someone, I, I think, I, like you rightly said, everybody who's worked in this sector, whether they admit it or not, has had a mental health crisis at some point of their life, uh, not even accounting for, say, other areas of health that they might be uh, dealing with. Um, when you were talking about this aspect of coming out to your boss, like coming out to your boss repeatedly, it kind of gave me flashbacks of this one very particular, uh, almost phenomena that happened in one of the organizations I worked for where repeatedly we had different, uh, both my seniors and juniors would come up to me and talk about exhaustion, overworking, and it would be a very serious crisis within our, uh, it was going through in our company at the time. Um, we would have discussions about it in town halls, we would have discussions about it in team meetings, we would have discussions in our daily stand-ups. But every time these points would come up, the systemic response was always not necessarily that, oh, you guys are overworked, let's try to build towards a system that is more sustainable for you or maybe we have too many projects and we need to be more sustainable in how we're managing our projects. But the knee-jerk re response was, well, it's a time management issue. You're just not managing your time that well. You just, need to, you just need to have every second of every minute of your calendar mapped out. And we had these sessions in our, uh, uh, in our organization for a very long period of time where every morning somebody would sit with you, everyone from top to bottom would sit with you and map out every single minute of your calendar. And I look back and I've, kind of think about how insane that was. Like when you have a vast majority of your organization coming in and talking about how the structure that we're currently working in 
is unsustainable and the response was in a way um, quite regressive was something like I never really understood. Um, one of the things that I've always kind of looked at, looked back at that situation and kind of thinking uh, and kind of thought about like, why does that happen? Like, why was that the knee-jerk response? And I'm kind of curious to kind of hear from you, like, what do you think are some of those causes? Like, why uh, beyond just the performative aspect? Because I think we are in a space now where everybody likes to talk about how mental health is a crisis, even organizations who are working excessively in mental health. But I don't think the practicality or the actionality of that has really translated. So we'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on like both the why aspect and also this performative aspect, which has now become increasingly common around mental health. I mean, before I kind of talk about, I mean, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, I think both Nishtha and I have had similar work experiences where management's just not sort of seeing the signs, right? Um, and the response is definitely at odds with, you know, what's really needed. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what support should look like uh, before I get into why support probably looks the way it looks, right? So when I think of a supportive workspace, I mean, I I have a sort of fascination for um like we learned about this thing called the Rawlsian utility function back in college right and I I think of workplace support in a similar way so this conception of utility is it measures social welfare by the degree of well-being of the worst off person in the room right so I, I know that in terms of what is actually actionable, it sounds a little bit grim, right? But it's just to say that whatever we think of and we think of workplace support, we really need to start by expanding its scope. So meaningful, like you mentioned, right? We already have a lot of these systems in place. So, but to my mind, meaningful support is as much a matter of workplace practices or institutions, right? Like you have a psych safety committee or you have 360 degree feedback that is actually used to inform changes in people's behaviors instead of just, you know, being filed away somewhere. As it is about the attitude surrounding those institutions and those practices, right? So meaningful support would entail people thinking of support, not just as hey, let's figure out how we can help X person manage or mitigate their weaknesses or, or let's figure out strategies to make X person less inconvenient to have around the workplace. It's about really thinking what needs to be done to help everyone that we work with actually thrive and to, to a degree be joyful in the work that they do and to do the work the, to, to do their best work and to do work that they're proud of actually owning, right? It's about building a space where people don't just bring their skills and their interests, but also the rest of their selves, right? Uh, I find that a lot of people, speaking to the point that you made on performative support, right? I think it's because a lot of people equate support to automatically equated to expecting less work or output of somebody, right? That's what it means to support them. Now that may be well-intentioned, but it invariably impacts how they're viewed and how they're assessed in a professional capacity. And we've seen it happen time and time again, right? Um, there's also the question of workplace norms. So we see more and more that a lot of workplaces offer mental health days off, right? So even in workplaces like that, where you're technically allowed to take those days off, you may still hesitate to do so because of the practical implications. So taking a mental health day off still has consequences, right? Because we operate within very set norms of what it means for a professional, what it means for an individual to be professional and what it means for them to be an efficient resource, 
right? And there are so many expectations surrounding that those norms. Um, in in the same way, in in the same way, right? So you may be in an organization where you know you've come out to your boss and you've done the work, and you tell them that I'm better at visual processing than auditory processing. So will you please let me record my meetings so that I can go back to them or you know take notes in a more detailed fashion later? And they may allow you to, right? But when you're actually having that meeting with your co-workers, how many of us will truly feel comfortable asking your or asking their co-workers um, if they can record that meeting, right? And it, it's always about coming out again and again, right? And, and that's incredibly exhausting. Um, that's also... I mean, if we start now thinking about solutions, right? That's also why it's so important to make certain provisions a part of the mainstream, right? So basic, basic things like recording meetings or very basic assistive tech like text to speech or speech to text. And I, I speak from an MH context as well as a disability context. Um, these are very basic things which you can, which come for free with any, um, you know, whether it's your Google or your Microsoft Office or whatever, right? It doesn't cost you anything to make it part of the mainstream so that one doesn't have to come out again and again and ask again and again. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks so much, Deepika. This conversation is actually very educational for me uh, because what you said about language earlier, you know, like being able to articulate all this and educating others and I guess like in some senses I'm also doing the same thing where I'm being educated by you right now but it's it's giving me a lot of vocabulary for things that I have experienced but I haven't known how to articulate or say to someone else um, and and these simple functions that you could do actually it's the same thing with me like I, I often hesitate to ask someone to record a meeting uh, especially when I was working and especially when you're in a middle management role where you're sort of supposed to be adhering to these norms as well. Uh, it, it's much easier to, for me, it was much easier to ask for a lot of allowances, you know, as a, as a fresher than, um, than as I started climbing the ladder and then you're expected to adhere to these norms even more. So uh, yeah, I think I, I see a, a lot of value in what you're saying uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, we're speaking about how people need to think about this in a more nuanced manner, especially at the senior management level or at the systemic and organizational level. Uh, there's one, two, two parts to this question. One is that there seems to be a general lack of reflection among senior management when it comes to these issues. And then when I say senior management, I refer to a few organizations that I have worked at. Uh, but also when I speak of lack of reflection, there's also a lack of engagement from their side. So I've worked with a lot of people who, you know, they've maneuvered through the system and they've adhered to these norms and they've gotten somewhere and they might have faced certain issues, which when you speak to them, they often talk about, like they, they've also had similar problems. Uh, they've also had moments where they felt uncomfortable they've had moments where they felt that they had they had issues surrounding mental health but they but they sort of like powered through it and then that's the expectation from the younger folk as well or from people who are coming in or or from like their colleagues and I want to talk a bit about that as well so one is lack of reflection where you have a responsibility and you're supposed to you, you, it, it's it's your duty to sort of create a more supportive work structure, but there's also a lack of engagement in terms of a mental block of thinking of mental health itself. And that speaks to a larger problem when we talk about mental health issues where that, that gap still exists, where people aren't willing to engage with it as much. Uh, and uh, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, I had a question in response, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that I mean, I'm addressing what you're saying about the lack of reflection, right? And what I see as this, this liberal kind of context, it forces us to reflect um, to some degree. Mm -hmm. But this lack of 
inclination to change the status quo, for example, hmm. like we have experienced, right? Uh, do you think that it could be in part because mental health is to some degree still thought of as a new agey kind of problem that, you know, provisions around mental health or accommodations for mental health, do you think that it's still thought of you know how they say special snowflakes or whatever? Um, mm. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because we're the older folk who are in the senior leadership roles. Do you think it's because of it being dismissed as a special snowflake problem? Mm, I think maybe in some cases where uh, generally like, just how neoliberalism is you you're expected to be a productive human being and you know like perform to your maximum efficient capacity and men, if, if your mental health issues are preventing you from doing that uh, and even if it was physical health in that scenario uh, I think that discourse uh, so works its way into like whatever issue you might raise uh, I, I yeah I, I would say that there is some lack of reflection in 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 general about issues you know and I, I i i would like to know more from you whether it's mental health specific but for, from what i have seen this sort of special snowflake uh narrative goes beyond just issues of mental health as well it will if you talk about politics if you talk about something as simple as you know like like that that something very economic which they should understand which is that uh there is inflation and our salaries aren't being increased which has implications for a lot of other things uh oh, you know like that that's an argument that should very easily be understood but this uh even that can be sort of subversed in in their uh understanding of uh of how the system works so yeah, uh, I, yeah. I think that's a very interesting uh point right like i remember uh, so uh, side note uh, this is absolutely not from my experience and has nothing to do with the dev sector but i remember in the course of the pandemic there was something called the which they call in the media the reckoning right in um in the conde nast um mm -hmm. office where a lot of people in senior leadership positions were exposed for being violently racist mm -hmm. right and then what that led to was uh, what led to it and what that also led to was a lot of people speaking out about their own personal experiences in the Condé Nast system. Um, and one person said that, you know, I tried to talk about how people were being unintentionally racist, right? Um, it, like in their daily sort of microaggressions and somebody they they heard somebody say about them or somebody later said about them oh it's always something with that person right like something's always the matter with that person like she always yeah. something or the other right? mm. we're all i think secretly trying to avoid being that person <laughs> <laughs> and that's what this all kind of comes back to right um as a leader i think you're right in saying that i've also had those conversations where people say, oh, I've had these exact challenges or sometimes challenges which are even more, um, I mean, difficult, right? Which is what, what I, I find that, you know, a lot of the time we kind of look up to these leaders because they've managed to make it past so many challenges which are even more difficult than the challenges you face, right? Uh, which is what makes them inspirational but then you kind of realize realize that that is a very damaging notion right that you kind of pushed past it so I should also have to I absolutely think that as a collective we need to start being a little more shameless and start realizing that this notion of if you did it so I also have to do it um, hmm. that doesn't work anymore yeah I, I I especially love this thought because um, uh, I, I know you guys have been talking about kind of almost like different typologies or different types of leaders and I want to throw one more typology and I think this is Tipka uh, going around with this thread of the type of leader who has been doing things and has finally made it to a certain point but their motivation is not necessarily that I'm climbing up the ladder it is buying into the aspect of the work I'm doing is really important 
and the work I'm doing should come above and all everything else, irrespective of like what maybe the realities might be. And there is an expectation that everybody else should do the same thing. Like I've had experiences where I've had colleagues and both leadership members who've talked about or who've been very critical about certain employees because not necessarily because that employee has not performed or that employee is not working well, but simply from the aspect of them not really understanding, hey man, the work we're doing is extremely critical. And if you're not doing an eight-day <laughs> eight work week, uh, then there's something mm -hmm. wrong with you. And it's, yeah, yeah it, so I, I don't necessarily feel like it is ill-intentioned, but it's also the other side of the coin. Like either you're motivated by that career journey that Nishta was talking about and you've been hinting at, or it's the other side, which I've seen a lot in the social sector, is this aspect of because I'm doing something great, we all have to be better. We all yeah. have to be best, no matter the cost. I mean, this is something that is replicated in all social relationships, right? It's like mothers will tell their daughters that I had to do this, so you also have to. Right? Just because you did doesn't mean that I have to. I can have a better future. Um, and I think it's also about, like, let's tap into our more as we sort of climb up the proverbial ladder, like let's tap into our more generous kind of selves. Just because I suffered, you shouldn't have to. It's like all those people complaining about loan forgiveness in the US, right? That we back loan forgiveness, milegi, right? Um, it's just, I mean, why are we all here? At the end of the day, we're trying to make life better for somebody. Um, and let's sort of start living that in our day-to-day -day as well uh, is what I think and I in terms of like you know things dark, things that are directed at inclusion I, I like to think of something uh, this, this is not an original idea but I like to think of something called the curb cut effect right which is suppose you have this um, busy street right and you you have a dip in the in in the footpath or the divider right you're helping wheelchair users access um access the pavement but you're also helping other groups of people that you didn't intend to help right like you have people who are carrying heavy suitcases or you have people who are riding bikes and scooters you have parents who are pushing prams Right? So you do something to include one group of people, you're actually impacting many, many different groups of people. So something as simple as, and this was completely unintentional, right? That during the pandemic, we we were forced to adopt work from home, right? It, it helps not just people who are, who have certain mental health challenges, but also say, you know, busy parents or people with other caregiving uh, commitments, right? Uh, people who have different schedules. Um, somebody may be a night owl and somebody may be an early riser, right? It it accommodates many different kinds of people and makes life and work better for many kinds of people. So, I and I don't think it's really hard to do. I mean, you don't really need a very fancy structured program to do this. Um, of course, I do think that fancy structured programs have a place, right? Because when you think of all of these norms around work, I I think, you know, behavior science tells us that you start norm nudging, right? So if, the, if leadership starts showing that inclusion is important to them or the or, or the mental health of the people that work in their office is important to them, middle level managers will take cognizance of that um, I think one thing that Nishtha and I have discussed in the past also is that at, at the workplace that we shared um, if leadership had kind of put their foot down about certain um, practices that weren't great in our workplace right um, it could have nipped a lot of things in the bud for uh, certain people who were um, I don't know what the right word here is, but just people who weren't great to the people working in their teams or, you know, people working, um, people that they were supervising, right? So, but leadership has to show intention. Um, but, but, you know, at the same time, say leadership, say there isn't like a formal structure program, there's still a lot that you can do. 
right? Just by being a little bit more attentive to the team that you're working with, uh, to what their challenges and needs might be, right? Um, this thing that, you know, the, the principle that underlies most business processes, right? Which is we want consistency. Um, Nishtha, you spoke about um, the neoliberal sort of um, complex. It's often at odds with what support looks like or what it should look like. So support takes on very it, it takes on very different forms for different individuals. So if you meet one person with a particular mental health condition, you've just met one person with that condition, right? Um, the experiences and strengths and difficulties of uh, and consequently their support needs are very different uh, to say somebody else who has the same condition, right? While it's important to have some of these structures in place and do this norm nudging and have the initiative come from leadership, it is also important to have layers of accommodation which are based on people's individual support needs, right? And for that, you are accountable. It's not that it needs to come from senior leadership. It's, it's you in your little team and the people that you manage, you are accountable for that. Um, I also think that uh, because we talked about mental health and mental health conditions, I, I also want to make one point here about steering clear of pathologizing uh, mental health and relying only on formal diagnoses, right? Because especially when we think about support in a workplace context. So when we have a socioeconomic context like ours, where mental health and neurodiversity are so under understood, um, and underdiagnosed. So many of us may be struggling, but may not have a formal diagnosis to lean on. And that absolutely doesn't mean that that our, our support needs are any less valid, right? Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question. I think I went off on a multiple, on, on multiple tangents, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll pause here and see if you have any thoughts. No, I, I think you answered my question really well. And especially the point on within your teams, right? Because I have often worked with senior people who I feel haven't had the opportunity or the chance to engage with their own mental health in the way that we have had, in the way that I at least have had, where I have had access to a lot of resources. I've been able to access therapy. I've been able to process my emotions very differently. And I've worked with senior team members who often have an impact on my mental health, but I also see them going through certain challenges, which they, they don't have the capacity or the inclination to deal with that themselves, which ends up creating issues for everyone around them also. And that, and, and what you said about, you know, where we're accountable for the team, I think in some senses, I've tried to speak to people about it, to people who are senior, but you can't just go up to someone and like raise a conversation like this. But it, by asking for accommodations for myself or talking about my own, uh, like what I'm going through, I feel like sometimes you do manage to get through to them in some ways. And even if you don't get through to them, you at least are able to create an environment where other people can speak about it and other people could probably ask for more accommodations as well. And I think that aspect of the team level uh, support structure is quite key for me. But uh, I think you've spoken a bit about this already. I, I wanted to ask you on the question of, you know, what kind of intersectionalities are we missing at the current moment? So there's a lot that's being spoken about. There's a lot that people now are more aware about, but I think there's still, the conversation still has a long way to go. And uh, what what kind of things do you think we're missing at the moment in these conversations that we're having? Um, I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I think when you say intersectionality, we almost always will think about intersectionalities of identity right so and that's something which is I mean you know your struggles are protracted if you also are marginalized in other ways so say somebody um, you know you have mental health challenges but you're also neurodivergent you know your your challenges are compounded you if you're also say you know queer 
your challenges are compounded. Um, but I think there's also something a little bit more nuanced, which is when we talk about mental health in the workplace, right? Or we talk about disability in the workplace. And, um, you know, I'm sorry to kind of keep bringing up neurodiversity at every turn, but it's just inextricably linked in my own experience. So that's just how I see it. Um, there is a lack of understanding of people, right? As, you know, you're, you're somebody who needs support, but you're also somebody who has individual agency. We're complex beings, you know, um, we're not here just for support. Like we also have um, our own ways of working, which deserve to be honored. We also have our own preferences, which deserve to be honored. Um, I think this is something I've been thinking about more recently, which is that we are not used to seeing, I mean, as I reflect back on my own challenges, I think a lot of the challenges that I faced um, with regard to disability in particular, we're not used to seeing disabled folks outside of the context of pity, right? It's really hard for you to see that I may be struggling uh, with, with the established ways of doing things in society. Um, if I look if I look okay or I look normal on the outside, right in quotes, um, that's the thing about hidden disabilities or that's the thing about mental illness, right? You people find it really hard to give a shit about you um, and about your challenges. It's it's hard to get people to believe that you may be struggling, and then. Once you kind of um, come out, right, you fight a dual burden, which is that the label that you have used to come out, it means nothing at all because there is no knowledge around it, right, in the workplace. But at the same time, you are also defined and thought of by other people as the sum total of the challenges which are associated with your label. So for example, if I say that I'm on the spectrum, right? Uh, while people may have very little understanding of what it actually means for me to be on the spectrum, um, if it, you, you know that there's something wrong if the first response that people have is, okay, let's not, um, that this person can't do, um, for lack of a better word. I mean, this hasn't come up in my context. I'm, this is an imaginary discussion <laughs> uh, that this person can't do say client facing work, right? Because that's what your perception of autistic people tells you. So I think people are really, and you know, it's something which is a second level problem. The first level is to actually start caring about mental health and well-being of the people that work with us uh, in, in a real way, not just in a performative way, uh, and to start sort of acting on it and to figure out what it will take to start acting on it. The second thing is then, you know, to respect these nuances a little bit better. And I don't know what the solutions are here. I just know that it's not the job of the person who is dealing with that at that time to educate and advocate all the time um i i don't know if this yeah. again answers your no. question but that is the that is the intersectionality yeah. in my mind which we're yeah. missing no i completely agree with uh everything you said throughout the podcast to be honest um uh, yeah uh i think uh, this is not a question just uh a thought uh which I, which I've been referring to throughout the podcast is that there is a lot of emphasis, you know, when we educate and advocate also about the people who, uh, about like speaking to people in power or whatever limited amount of power they may have within an organization or a team, 
about caring for the people around them but what i have often seen is that there is a huge lack of care from these team members for themselves as well and that's for me i see i feel like that's been a big issue you know like that that they are often neglecting themselves and then they have that expectation from others and that that's very difficult to it's then difficult to communicate that entire aspect of you know because that that's where that idea of pity or you know that, that i am still doing well and this is this person that i need to support whereas uh, in a lot of ways i've seen that you're you're not doing well like in my in my perspective uh, i'm looking at my senior leadership and i think they're not doing well this idea of i have to be the best i i have to do the best i have to put everything else in the back burner and perform right. really well at my job i i don't think that's a symptom of uh, a very good psyche i think there's like you know like i, I feel like the, there is balance that's needed there as well but that neglect runs so deep that it's very difficult to explain to them that that you know like this is not something that anybody should be doing so when they make these accommodations <laughs> for you they feel like yeah. oh, you know like i never so make why don't you take those accommodations yeah yeah It and help you live a better life exactly so i i think uh, yeah when when uh, i when you're too junior you're too low on the pecking order you can't go up to a person and be like hey take some time off but uh, i think as you at least as i've like progressed in my career i can make that statement and you know like make it with some authority to tell somebody else that please like you know you shouldn't be doing this and if if you if you experience better mental health you will try to make the workplace a more supportive structure for everyone else but if you can't imagine that environment at all you're not going to be able to do that for someone else without thinking of it as something that's out of the norm or something that shouldn't be done but okay because you asked for it i will do it for you mm. uh yeah that's just uh my thought it's of course like even i know when when somebody uh you know like if if in 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 the workplace somebody else is behaving that way and you're not feeling okay and you're able to articulate it it's very difficult in that moment to have any empathy for somebody who is uh, who's creating issues for you <laughs> but uh, but yeah i think that's a big uh, part for me of creating a better work environment as i've been uh, progressing in my career to just speak to people who are slightly like above me in the in you know in, within the organization to just to just think about these things for themselves and i think i feel that maybe that will help them relate better to the teams that they're working with and uh, start these conversations some more couple i think that's actually yeah. sorry you were, yeah. you were asking for kapil to chime no, in no no yeah I, I, i have I, a question sorry yeah go ahead <laughs> i can i can come back to this yeah no i think this starts mentioning my name because this is something i dearly struggle with um <laughs> like even just the aspect of uh, being able to maintain uh, a regu- regular work hours is not something i've been able to do and even though this is like trying to be very focused about it trying to set up times trying to be very conscious so in in a way like i i've done this often where i will do this for others but i do not end up doing it for myself um and i think some of the aspects of what nishta was talking about it's just not having those maybe just not having as much of uh, the, uh that introspection early on in my career or even like some of the resources early on in my career which would have helped and i think just yeah i yeah it it was a very this discussion has been very insightful and i'm just silently silently sitting in the background making notes about okay kapil need to work on this need to work on this need to work on this that's awesome to hear um unlike you because i can't uh, process very well when i'm hearing i will play it back one bajillion times and make those notes for myself um there's been a lot to learn from the both of you as well and and, and I, it's always good to feel like you're not alone right um that's something i've learned on my journey to doing this and also in the process of this conversation with the two of you um yeah i mean it's it's been a it's been an excellent experience um yeah because at the end of, I, i don't know who said this this is not an original thought in any way uh but at the end of it like human 
going about life as a human being is just trying to trying to see that we're not alone right like trying to find ways in which we're not alone um that is in many ways the process of going through life so yeah um i actually wanted to ask a question here which is nishtha yeah you mentioned this thing about like it's it's like you said right take that take that day off or don't work on the weekend because you'd be a much better both a resource as well as somebody you know like a person in the workplace working within a team uh, if you were to do so would you do you think that you could say that to somebody who's like if you sort of take yourself back 6 months right um would you be comfortable saying that to somebody who's supervising you or do you think that that decision also is a nuanced one uh, where it would depend a lot on your interpersonal relationship with them and then you know how strong the norms are within that organization or where that supervisor stands in relation to uh, senior leadership and all mm-hmm. of these little little things right yeah i think you know what i said about that question of empathy uh, i think that plays a big role there because sometimes i feel the urge to say that to someone else right i know it will make things better for them i know it will make things better for me but at that point where somebody is affecting your mental health so much you find it very difficult to be compassionate for them you find it very difficult to go up to them and say hey i can see you're under a lot of stress uh you know like maybe this would help maybe i can support you in this way maybe we can ask for something in this way or maybe you should take some time off and we can figure this out but even to say that requires a level of compassion between two people uh and sometimes when if a supervisor is making your life difficult i think that level of compassion really depletes for you because that, that and that is a question i think of those intersectionalities of power and uh a lot of other things which are playing out over there it depends on the gender of the supervisor it depends on how they might be relating to you in other ways exactly all those small small things you said right so structurally i think yes i i would i would be okay going up to a person and saying it and uh i think since the beginning of my career i've been quite i've been quite okay with just uh just going up to a person and telling them okay i'll help you out or okay you know like why don't you take a day off why don't uh why why don't you try to make things better for yourself but more and more with time that compassion sometimes gets depleted when the other person is reciprocating that so you're trying your best to help them to help them see things differently but they want to want you to behave in the way that they've always behaved and uh i i yeah i think on an interpersonal level it becomes difficult but a lot of the things you said today uh about how we can think of these things systemically or structurally i think that might make make this an easier thing to do where both sides can actually advocate for themselves and for each other uh and i think that at least in commonplace where we're working where it's a much more i don't want to say a flat structure because that word doesn't really mean anything but we have spaces where since it's a much smaller unit we can talk to each other about a lot of things uh and ask each other to make accommodations for yourself and call people out on things when it, they may not be going well so i think in this structure it's much easier to do that i'm happy to hear that you know and i i think that a i've always admired that in you that part of the reason why you've been able to forge the relationships that you have been able to is because of this compassion mixed with candor right that you've had from day one um i remember <laughs> one of our initial interactions at um, our shared workplace right where i think previously the role that i was in um you may have i think you'd applied or responded to a job listing for a program assistant and i had <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i i was like I, i was absolutely mortified right when you told me i was like oh my god i can't believe i got didn't get back to but the fact that you said that to somebody on their first day at work <laughs> i think that's what makes you um very very uh, special right and and that's 
that's why you're able to do the work that you do also. Um, and I agree with the thing that you said about, I, I find, yes, you're right. Like, you know, people do kind of chip away at your compassion, but especially in this sector, you really need to sleep on it and come back to why you're doing the work that you're doing. And come back to a more sort of compassionate and a more generous version of yourself. Yeah. Um, and that applies like not just, you know, uh, to me in relation to the people that I'm supervising, but also in, in relation to the other people that I work with, including people who may be supervising me. Um, if I can see that they're having a hard time, it doesn't cost me very much to ask um or to pay attention, I think all of the, you know, uh, the the subtitle for this uh, episode is just pay attention. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, thanks a lot, Deepika, for uh, just sharing so much with us, uh, all your time and all your knowledge. Uh, just my last question is what's next for you and for this space? Where do you see this going and where do you see yourself going over here? Uh, I... I mean, I'm actually, I'm, I recently made this shift, right, uh, from, from working in behavior science to working in uh, neurodiversity inclusion, hopefully informed by behavior science, right? And I'm still very happy to be exploring this space and exploring all the different things we can do and how we can advance the science as well as the practice Right. And this is like any other field. Um, much of the research has been concentrated in weird uh, Western educated, uh, I forget the rest, democratic, rich, industrialized um, societies. Right. So there's a lot of thinking to be done and there's a lot of exploring to be done. And um, it's still a very nascent kind of field. So I'm, I'm really enjoying myself. Um, in terms of where the sector is headed, I think specifically in the context of um, well-being as an individual and as a community, I think it's it's great that you know if if even if in a perfunctory kind of way that we're just talking about these things, right? It means that ten years from now, people may actually start to care. Right. Or it means that of the hundred people who are talking about it in a perfunctory way, um, one will suddenly wake up and be like, okay, maybe I can do more, or maybe I can expose myself to more discourse around this. Or um, you know, you you there's still a lot of potential, and I'm optimistic, right? Uh, ab about where we're going. Okay. Uh yeah, thanks a lot, Deepika. I think this has been one of the best conversations for me personally which I've had on this podcast just so much to learn from you uh, yeah thank you for coming here thank you Deepika. I'm glad uh, I'm glad to hear that and I just wanted to make one last note uh, yeah although you know these are all my opinions I think if you're if anybody who's listening is interested in learning more um, the organization that I work for right now we're actually trying to do a lot of this work in industry so you know there are a lot of helpful resources and such so you could consider following my organization on our uh, social media handles so we're we're on linkedin and twitter and all of the other stuff um sometimes i post about this stuff too so you can find me on linkedin um i'll i'll share my nishta i'll share my linkedin handle address whatever yes yes and also if you if anybody listening in the universe has any questions you can just you can write to me um i think i'll be happy to help i think that's the least that we can do having traversed the path that we have right um if you've experienced marginalization in any form i, I think it, at the very least you should try and kind of um paid forward not the marginalization but the, <laughs> the sort of you know the good fortune or the, the resources that you've had so yeah yeah, yeah. no absolutely uh we will have all of that linked in 
the posts that we do and uh, please feel free to reach out to Deepika everyone uh, and to us if there's <laughs> anything that you'd like to talk about yeah, uh, yeah. well thank you Deepika it has been a pleasure thank you Deepika